We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. I love to talk about policing with people who really know about policing because this has been a major problem for the black community like the entire time we've been here in America. And the solution to the problem is not for both sides to come together. It's not for both sides to change. It's for the police to change. The police need to serve the people in more judicious ways. The police are the government. And where else do we talk about how we, the citizens, can better serve our government? No, it's not for us to change for our police. It's for the police to change because we deserve a police force that understands de-escalation. That's truly about crime reduction. That's not looking at the people it serves as an ATM it can get money from. I live in Brooklyn, and I'm constantly afraid of the police in my community. Why is that? That should not be. I want to go deep into policing here with Corey Pegues, who was on the NYPD for 21 years. He was a commanding officer in some of the most violent precincts in the city. He's the author of the memoir, Once a Cop, and he's a friend. We're going inside the NYPD. It's Corey Pegues on Torre Show. Did you find your officers feeling that sense of this is my community to protect and serve? Because it seems like officers, especially in the black community, that they're coming in to smash and grab rather than protect and serve. Well, I coined a phrase and that's been all over the media from me that in black communities, they hunt and in non-minority communities, they protect and serve. And I can say that after 21 years and working in communities of color, all different communities, white communities, black, Hispanic. I worked all over the city of New York, and there's a clear, you can clearly see that they hunt in minority communities. And so when I was a commander, I made sure that I, I lessened that. I remember I read somebody said that police officers are constantly encountering people who were at their, their lowest moment, perhaps in, definitely in their day, perhaps mm-hmm. in their life. Mm-hmm. And constantly seeing the worst brought out of people. And and when the cops show up, everybody doesn't start acting like a choir boy and girl. They start freaking out. They might resist. They might start to tell a story that may or may not be the truth to try to get out of the situation. So the officers are constantly encountering people in very difficult moments, acting out of the way they normally are, and thus perhaps start to think this is the way that people are, so I cannot trust people, right? Mm-hmm. And now... What if I'm supposed to police these people and I cannot trust them? How do I do that? Right. So is this part of how officers get corrupted and start to walk into situations and don't de-escalate and you know maybe point a finger at the wrong person, take away the wrong person, or it, it, no? I mean, you just hit it on the nose. Just think about it. We could just use food. If you, I mean, I only eat chicken and fish. You <laughs> might eat more than that. But if you eat ate chicken every day, all day for three or four years, you're probably going to start hating chicken. Same thing. You start going to a community. Forget about ethnicity. You can be a black cop working in a black neighborhood, and all you dealing with is the low totem pole every single day, domestic violence, gun runs, robberies, all day, every day. Eventually, it might put you into a place where you say, these people are animals. 
where they're really not because the other side of the precinct they got half a million dollar homes. But you don't go you don't go to that side of the precinct. Right. But they still look there. like those people over here in, on the on the lower social economic side of the precinct. So this is why it's so important for police departments and municipalities to do psychological evaluation. Let's just be honest, Tori. Every cop that's out there shouldn't be a cop. Some should be working at McDonalds. Every podcast interviewer shouldn't be doing podcasts. I hear some. It's like, why is that guy still working? So there's a small percentage of police officers. What happens is magnified because it's the only profession in the United States where the citizens give the cops the right to take a life if imminent deadly physical force is being used against you or somebody else. Imminently. So right now, if somebody came in here, pulled a gun out, and there was a cop standing over there, he got the right to kill that guy. So it's a heavy responsibility. And every cop ain't built for that. Think about it. 21 years old, never had a girlfriend, living in your mama's basement. High school education. High school education. Well, 64 credits. Now, we're using YPD. 64 college credits. How much college is that? 64. That's two years. So you got to have gone to some level of college a little bit. But you still live at home. Six months later, you get a gun and a shield, and they go, go conquer the world. Officer Torre, you're out there. Your first job is a violent domestic incident. You never had a girlfriend. You got to handle this. You don't even really know how to deal with relationships. The next one is downtown, right down on Broadway, six foot five, black male, frothing at the mouth, butt naked. You by yourself. You got to handle that. And the next one might be a dog in the tree. But you, you understand what I'm saying? These are situations that cops are put in and people don't really understand. You, the, the cop is the counselor for domestic violence, counselor for the emotionally disturbed person that's down on Broadway going crazy. He's the counselor for the domestic violence incident. Then he got to try to stop the bank robber, the shooter, all of this stuff with six months to nine months training. So you remember with that six to nine months training, you're getting all of that, but these are blocks. You might get eight hours of domestic violence training. 15 hours of dealing with emotionally disturbed persons, three or four days of shooting. So these are all of these things that everybody, what happened in policing now, policing has become the do-all. Anything happens, call the police. But we're talking about individual officers here, Mm -hmm. right? And a smart man said that in any sort of organization, 85% of the problems are going to come from the system. Only 15% will come from the workers, Mm -hmm. right? And, and uh, another officer who was on this show said, it's not about bad apples. It's about the system and the where, where the policing system puts its people and, and what it tells its people to do. And that means a good person may be put in a terrible situation, may have to do something that they understand is wrong. Um, is it really the system that is pushing officers to do things that, in retrospect, you're like, I, I wish that he had not done that. I wish that she had not been in that position at all. I think it's two. I think it's. I think it's the the culture of policing. Actually, the subculture, which you you call the blue wall. There's a subculture in policing, and then I think it's leadership. You know, I'm all into leadership. When I was in the military, I studied leadership. I was a leader. I was a commander. And in military, um, in policing, it's top down. Leadership is top down. It's not bottom up. It's almost like they, that that phrase. You can't let the prison prisoners run the asylum. You can't. It's like the Eric Garner incident, right? We watched on national TV where he got murdered. It was murder, homicide by asphyxiation. We saw it. And then when you look at Pantaleo, the officer that murdered him, you look at his record, he's getting sued for $22.5 million. He had 15 complaints. Who let him out running around in Staten Island and playing close with all those complaints? Most cops go their whole career with like one or two complaints. This guy got seven or eight years. He got all these complaints. How does this happen? So this is what I'm saying when it's leadership and the culture, because the culture allows him to be there, and also the leader is just bypassing and said, in police, and believe it or not, the more complaints people get, and this is going to blow your mind, they really believe that, oh, that guy's a good guy. Because he has, there's this theory that the more contacts you have with the police, the more probability you're going to get complaints. So let's just say that guy's been involved in 2,000 contacts. So there's a belief that since he had 2,000 contacts, 300, you know, he might have 300 complaints. Ah, it goes along with the job. Like, I feel like the war on drugs, for one thing, 
misdeploys officers, has officers looking for certain things and, and, and staking out certain locations. And as the country is moving toward decriminalization and legalization of marijuana, it's changing the nature of policing to a certain extent. Because a lot of arrests, right, a lot of searching, a lot of arrests are around marijuana, right? You know, you're, you're, you want to see, like, do people have it? Um, how is the decriminalization of marijuana changing policing? Is it, is it making things better for the officers that they're not policing this crime? Well, believe it or not, uh, most police officers, the overwhelming majority, they don't even want to have contact with people, believe it or not. With people? Period. What, what do you mean they don't want to have so, contact with people? They just want to get a call on the radio. If you called and said somebody robbed you, they want to show up. They don't want to do proactive policing, like driving down a block to stop questioning Frisk or deal, see five, six males on the corner, jump out. So they, Cops don't want to do that at all. You know, I'm a member of LEAP, Law Enforcement Action Partnership. I'm one of the speakers for LEAP, and um, our position is legalizing drugs, period, especially marijuana. That's my position. Legalizing all drugs? Yeah, just legalizing. You would legalize cocaine? Everything. Heroin? Regulated. Regulated. We, the biggest drug in the world is legalized. Liquor. Legalize it. Because now you take now you take all the power out of the drug dealer on the corner. You take all the power out of the drug dealer on the corner. The police is all good. Everything is regulated. Because I mean, it's true. The only way to actually kill the underground market is, is, is to have it legalized right. and the price no longer makes sense. Right. Nobody's killing each other on the street. Over drugs. So as we as a nation mm-hmm. are decriminalizing and legalizing, uh, how is that changing policing? It's changing policing um, kind of tenfold because now you free up resources. Now you can actually use police for what you really need them for, the seven major crimes, rape, robbery, burglary, murder, grand larceny of auto, grand larceny, period. And that's what police need to do. They don't need to be running around because— Apartment 4B, they smell marijuana coming from 3B. That's not a police issue. If somebody wants to smoke marijuana, that's what they're doing. The only person they're hurting is them, themselves. But we can't keep locking people up because you know what it's doing? We're breaking up families. When I get locked up, when my wife and kids, I get locked up, I'm the breadwinner. Now I'm going for, I get locked up on Monday. I might not see the judge till Thursday. When I get out Friday, I have no job no, no more. Job. And then, you know, then the cycle just And it's completely arbitrary that that alcohol is legal and marijuana is not. It is arbitrary. Like, let's get over it. I mean, when you look in New York City, all the studies, I just testified in front of the New York City Council about marijuana. When you look at the studies, all studies show 33% white, 33% black, but 29% Hispanic. We use it at the same rates. If you put a map up on this wall, use of marijuana, New York City, you're going to see red dots all over the city. But then when you map the arrest in New York City. Off the charts. No, it's black not all. Brown. It's all. Yeah, you got Brownsville, Stapleton. Crazy. You don't have Upper East Side. Where when you look where you well, see, if you really wanted to police drug use, right? You could go on any college campus <laughs> yes. and knock it. It's super easy to cop on any college campus, but they don't raid NYU and Columbia. Right? They raid Brownsville mm-hmm. and Bed Stuy right. and Fort Greene, South Queens, right? The Bronx. And so, at what point do we say, hey? Step back. And I, I applaud New York City. At this point, they've deregulated. And what people don't know, 1976, the state legislators actually deregulated the use of marijuana, but it was two subdivisions that they didn't fix, possession of more than two and a half grams and smoking in public. So those are the two the two um, areas subdivisions yeah. where people are getting locked up but now Cuomo actually I was supposed to testify in front of the governor last night in Queens you know he has a tour going around asking opinions about because he's ready he's ready he's on board to legalize it he is he's on board the governor's on board to legalize and I think man, next year or so in New York it, it should be legalized one of the things that we learned out of the whole Ferguson situation is the the depth and breadth of for-profit policing and the way that um, officers are deployed to write parking tickets, summonses, with the intent to claw money from the citizens, quite often from working class citizens who don't have this kind of money. 
which is ultimately about trying to make up a shortfall that municipalities are feeling because every citizen wants lower taxes. Mm -hmm. So the politicians give it to them, but every citizen also wants the same level of services. Mm -hmm. So how do we make up the shortfall? The police will make up the shortfall. How do you feel about being part of that machinery that is clawing money uh, from the from the working class, the lowest members of society, the people who need every dime the most, and the and the police are just clawing money. I mean, that's not protecting and serving. No, it's not. And let me just correct you. I call that I I call that small town policing because that doesn't happen in New York. That City. doesn't happen in New York City. No, it doesn't happen. In New York. What? What, what? So let me be clear. Let me just I'm be very clear. You know, I'm I'm, I'm even black or white. I don't I don't sugarcoat. So let me just tell you. Yes, we write summonses and stuff here in New York City. We do, and actually summonses are down a lot since, you know, there was a lot of um, talk about it. But in these small towns, it's a lot different. Because remember, Ferguson, they might have 60 cops. Right. It's different. We got 40,000 here. Right. So when we do it, it's really going to be exposed. You you can tell because everything is transparent. You know, at the, year, at, at the end of the quarter, the physical year, all of these numbers are put out. So we're able to do, you know, to decrease it. Actually, cops don't even want to do that stuff, Tori. So, so you say NYPD and LAPD, the big LA, ones, right? The big ones don't engage in for profit for profit policing. It's it's I don't I don't want to say for profit policing because we don't get to utilize the money like the small towns. You understand that? So when they get they get the money now, they're utilizing to get more vehicles, more sure. equipment, and stuff like that. When we're our money is going into the coffers of the city. I had uh, Lieutenant Edwin Raymond on this show. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah, Lieutenant Raymond. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he blew my mind when he said, "No, the police force is not about protecting and serving. It's about generating money for the city and or state." Yeah, everyone is a little. <laughs> it's, it's, he's a little. NYPD. Yeah, Are you I saying know. he's incorrect? That's that's my buddy. He's he's a little younger and new to the job. And he's a younger more, than you, a but little, a little more high strung. Well, let, let's just let's. Just, <laughs> but you're saying? Are you saying he's I, incorrect on that? I, I I think he's misled. A great cop should be able to work eight hours mm-hmm. and actually not arrest anybody or write summons. It he or she should be able to use what they call discretion to fix it. If there's a double parked car, let's find out who knock on a couple of doors. Hey, sir, ma'am, Torre, is this your vehicle? You need to move your vehicle or I'm going to give you a summons. Fine. You got rid of that. There's a domestic violence incident. He should be over there because he should know everybody on the block. And that's what real good police officers But that's do. not the policing we get. It, you get it sometimes. So what happens in policing... The bad things are magnified. Think about See, it. See, but if you're like, if you are an officer who's like, hey, discretion, I didn't feel a, an arrest was warranted there, but you go a whole month with no arrest, you got a problem, right? That's the old policing. They're changing that. We don't. Exactly. We, we we don't have quotas anymore. Believe it or not, they're really changing it. They're really changing it. If you look and it's public information, you can see summonses are down. Arrested down. Everything is down. I, you know, my daughter's a cop. My nephew's a cop. Cops don't even want to do anything. They don't want to do anything in the wake of this thing right here. <laughs> Cell phone, the phone. And videos. The, the no you, cop wants to be on the front page of the newspaper. The, so wait, okay, so now we're, okay, so so let's we're get back into, to reactive department. Well, we're getting into the Ferguson effect thing. Exactly. Right? That, that, that police, I mean, the Ferguson effect is that police officers supposedly don't want to engage as much as they used to right. because they don't want to get in trouble. They don't feel that the mayor or the, the higher-ups will support them. Mm-hmm. So, but the data does not show officers standing down. Is, are you seeing officers standing down because they don't want to? I'm telling you from real world, from just knowing thousands of cops and yeah. information, you know, my contacts and policing all over the country, that police really are not engaging like they used to. And it's almost what I believe is going to be to the detriment of policing. Because your expectation and my expectation is of a cop that I need you to go out there, yeah. protect, serve, keep my community safe. So I actually really want a proactive cop. I want a, I don't want a reactive cop. So you're saying that the Ferguson effect is real? It's real. 
It's definitely because a lot of other cops have told me it's not. It's that, real. That, that that when they they may want to stay in the car, but when the radio goes, when they see something, they get out and they deal with it, even as they're like, well, Ugh. no, because that's a cop. That's a cop, and you, that's an expectation. I want that. If you see something, I, my expectation is for you to get out of that vehicle and handle it. Right. But what I'm saying is the Ferguson effect is that proactive when they're just driving on a block and they see people on corners and stuff. Cops are not jumping out on them. And you might see something, do. And, you know, I like to always, you know, when I'm pretty But are you sure talking about Ferguson now? Are you, ta- are you talking about the broken windows style of policing? No, both. The Ferguson has affected broken windows because they don't even want to do the broken windows. You know, the broken windows, David, but broke- there's one window broken in the building, there'll be yeah, 15 so, so, broken. Yeah, so we're going so poli- to be hard on everything, little right. things, exactly. fair jumping, mm-hmm. loitering, mm-hmm. drinking in public. That seems to me to be very problematic. Actually, when it first started in the early 90s, think about it. We was, again, a reactive department. So when we first started doing... This whole, and I'm not totally defending this. I'm just giving you facts. So when we first started grabbing people off turnstiles, finding out Tory is wanted for murder. We wasn't stopping people before. How often are you stopping somebody for some the smaller crimes? Right. Fair jumping, mm-hmm. loitering, the little things, and finding out, oh, he was he's wanted for something much it's bigger. A small, it's a small percentage. It's a small percentage, but it was small enough that we was able to bring, remember... Small 92. enough that it ma- that it mattered. It mattered. Remember in '93, one percent. Well, '93 was 1,900 homicides in New York City. Last year was less than 300, so it actually worked. And it took some time, but my position was, I wait, think. Wait, 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 wait. You're not saying that the that the 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 drop in the murder rate is due to the broken windows philosophy. Oh, it, it has some because the murder with. rate has plummeted nationwide. Yeah, but I'm telling in you, in rural New York City. and rural and urban communities, mm-hmm. all sorts from east to west, north to south, the murder rate has plummeted, and we're at like a century low. You're right. But this I'm, is not about broken no, windows. It's something me, much bigger. I mean, you think about the private prison industry and sure. and, and all the folks who in and out of that industry who profit from uh, incarceration and the entire justice system. And the police are the foot soldiers of that. Gatekeepers of the criminal justice system. That's why it's so important. Like I talked, we talked about that 21-year liver with his mama and becomes a cop in some municipalities. You could be a cop at 20, maybe 19, down south in the little, little towns. So it's a heavy responsibility putting a bracelet on somebody. You're getting ready to start the process to the criminal justice system. That's why it's so important and imperative for psychological evaluations, drilling down, going through their background, making sure that they can handle the job because every cop can't handle the job. And I want to just say, like on camera, I don't, whoever else came here and said whatever, I'm telling you, and I'm hard on cops. But the overwhelming majority of the police officers, they're out there. They're just doing the job. They don't want to. They don't. I'm telling you, they don't want to fight. They don't want to get in those shootouts. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. 
Each of NPR's Black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. We'll get back to the show in a second, but how do you take care of your family if the worst thing imaginable happened? What happened if you were to drop dead and not be here anymore? Could you take care of your family then? I mean, everything you do now is to take care of your family. Going to the games, the recitals, tucking them in at night, making sure they're going to the right school, making sure they have the right food, making sure that you are working so you can take care of your... Everything you do is for your family. But what happens if you weren't here? That's what life insurance is for, to take care of your family when you're not around. If you don't have life insurance... Now's the time to think about it. Policy Genius is the easy way to compare life insurance online. In just five minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers and find the best policy for you. They don't just do life insurance. They also do disability insurance, renter's insurance, health insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. Don't put off getting life insurance any longer. Go to policygenius.com, get quotes, and apply in minutes. Four million people have used Policy Genius. You can be four million and one. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance so you can take care of your family even if you're not here. You were in the street for several years before you went to the military and then Yes. Then you became a police officer. Mm-hmm. What did you learn in the street that helped you as a police officer? Well, one of the things I learned in the streets it was, was like, don't trust anyone. I didn't trust anyone. You know, being in the streets, you talk about when I was selling drugs and stuff. Yeah, so I didn't trust anyone. You couldn't trust your mother, your, your cops. You got to worry about your girlfriend. You got to worry about the people you're selling drugs with. You got to worry about everybody. So I always took that mentality even in life. I don't trust nobody. Always look at somebody with the third eye. And that's what made me so successful as a police officer. So I would but never trust. you didn't tr- trust anybody. I didn't trust anybody, especially if you told me, Yo, uh, just don't worry about it. I got it. No, no, no. I need to come with you to make sure that this job is being done correctly. I understand how a, per, a given person stays on top of an organization. He's he's at a he or she's at a above ground organization. Right. She, he's the vice president. Okay, I'm going to listen to him right. or I'm listen to her. If you're in a criminal organization, mm-hmm. things are much more fluid. Why not pull out a gun and kill the lead guy and then you become the lead guy? Like why not? What's to stop you? There's no HR that says, hey, you can't do that. Nobody's going to call the police, right? You can't do that. So why do you or whoever, mm-hmm. why are you able to stay at the top and keep everybody listening to you when they're probably all alphas, they're probably all hotheads? They're right. like, why I got to listen to him? Well, for me, remember, so I came from a criminal organization that actually was like 
if it was a company, it'd be a Fortune 100 company. You know, we had a, a CEO, you know, vice president, lieutenants, right. street workers where I was on the bottom of the top. So I go from that to the military, which is the same structure, into the policing. So I knew, you know, where the power was and where leadership was and how organizations should be run. And I was always able to motivate people. You always got to you gotta give a little to get a little. And, you know, I teach at Mega Evans College. I teach ethics right now in public administration. And I told my—I was teaching last night. I told my class, just, you know, as a leader, you can say yes, 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 yes. And the first day you say no, they're going to hate you. They want to throw you out. Everybody. So I would say I would piss people off real quick in any position I took as a leader. I wanted to get the hate out quick. Because now I can start giving them, I can start giving them carrots. And they say, oh, that guy really ain't that bad. He ain't that bad. So first say no. and First say no. <laughs> and then you come back and you start giving them carrots. Hey, you need a day off? Oh, you got special needs child? Take three days. Oh, you got to go to, your wife just had a baby instead of eight weeks. I'm going to give you nine weeks. Boom. So they forgot all about this bad guy in the beginning that I became this good guy and they would go through the war for me. That's just a little leadership trick that I used to use. How do you move up as a cop? Why does certain certain uh, guys walking a beat get to move up? And you got to a very high level fairly quickly. How do you yeah. how do you move up? Well, in the NYPD is test. So you know you take a test for sergeant, lieutenant, and captain. It's weighted yes. on a hundred. You got to keep crushing the test. Yeah, you got to keep. But it's it's like taking a bar exam. But is it's there more fair. to it than just killing the test? Because they got to be. They got to like you. They got to respect you, well, right? You, well, it's pretty much pass the test unless you like really dopey. And as a sergeant, you will never make lieutenant. It's, it's not rocket science. Because if it was rocket science, I'd be at NASA. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So it's really not that difficult. You could pass the test, have some type of working knowledge of what. You your position is and pass the next test and then you get up now once you make captain that's all appointments you know you want to be a commanding officer you want prestigious positions now you got to show what you're capable of doing i mean i was a captain i made captain i got my own command in 10 months which is warp speed most captains they wait three four five years before they get their first command but Ray Kelly saw something in me, and I believe Sean Bell killing had something to do with it. I call it Black Friday because when Sean Bell got shot 44 times, I got my own command. Phil Banks, which was a former chief, he got a command, Jimmy. So it was like six black commanders got promoted in one day, which has never happened in NYPD. Sean Bell was at his bachelor party, yes. was it? Right yeah. before he's about to get married? The night before. And the night before he's about to get married, mm-hmm. and he got shot in a parking lot. Uh, behind the where he was having strip the party club, yeah. in the strip club, mm-hmm. um, and you're saying that that his his murder, which was major news throughout New York City for a while, yes, his murder led to you and several other black people getting elevated because Ray Kelly, the commissioner, said, "I need to put more brown faces in." Nobody could tell me different. They'll tell you different, but it never happened before. They were looking for black people quickly. This was a bad shooting, and it came off the hills of Amadou Diallo Amadou getting Diallo, shot. And held Bronx. up his wallet <laughs> it, well, and got shot. I don't think he even went, held it up. I think he was reaching he was for reaching for his wallet. I think he, he was got, reaching for his key probably to open the door. And got shot. And got shot up. 40-some times. Yes. And, I mean, the, both of those shootings were pretty much friendly fire shootings. What people don't know, like the, um, the Amadou Diallo shooting, actually, when the first guy start shooting at Diallo, he fell back off the steps. And so his the guys thought he got shot. He just tripped. But they saw him fall back. And so they just started shooting, 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 shooting. If Trust he fell, why didn't they stop? They shot him. Why they didn't they stop? No. They thought he got shot. Yeah. So they're trying to kill the threat that shot him. Amadou Diallo, they thinking that he shot him. You understand what oh, I'm saying? Oh, they're thinking somebody else shot Right. Him. They thinking he got shot when he tripped on the stairs and fell backwards. And that's when they go, boom, 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 boom. Even the Sean Bell shooting. I mean, I fight the cops, but no cop is going, they're not going to shoot somebody 50 times. There has to be something else in that like shooting. What? what do you mean? Like what? It's like the Sean Bell shooting. There was a lieutenant on the scene. Yeah. Leadership top down. There should have been somebody that took charge, even if it's going to be a situation where it's going to be a shooting. That's designated. Torre, you're going to be the designated shooter. You're going to you're going to cover. We're going to cover until it's clear. That's leadership. If they're not doing that, you got every cowboys, everybody running out with their guns out. Bang, 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 bang. You're going to get 44 shots. You're going to get 52 shots. Yes, but somebody got to stand there and say, hey, this might be a shooting situation. 
tactically let's approach it you flank left i flank right you know you got the middle you're the only one that's going to be making verbal commands to him everybody can't be talking to the guy you're confusing him. i mean surely 44 shots in a situation where no bullets are coming back at you 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 can't tell me that that makes tactical sense. You can't tell me that it makes doesn't. That's, sense. That's, that's exactly what it I'm saying. It endangers other citizens uh, who are not part of the. That's what I'm saying. That where's the tactics? And even when these shootings happen, you gotta understand there's ricochets. So ricochets are coming back at the cops. They think people are shooting at them, but it's not. It's your ricochet. The bullet is hitting concrete and it's coming back at you. They're thinking people are shooting at them, and it's all in their brain. It's in that mind, and nobody says stop. Hold on. Let's see if it's clear. I mean, if you hear 10 pops, right, <laughs> if you haven't accomplished your mission to subdue the subject after 10 bullets have been In, fired. Inside of a car, especially. I mean, I mean I, I, why doesn't the brain kick in and say, okay, we've shot at him 10 times. Right. Not just, like, let's slow down, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I don't, if I don't see a gun, I don't think there's a gun coming. Why, why, why? I mean, like, just if you hear 40 or 50 shots, you've got, why are you not thinking, like, Yo, this is out of control. Well, you do this so in the defense of cops, and I'm not defending these shooters. You you do understand that these are very stressful situations. Most of these shots, even a 44 shot, these are happening in like five seconds. 44 shots in five seconds. Yeah, well, you know, ten for me, ten from you, ten from you. These are these are quick shooters. This is not like TV. Dano, you got them. You got a clear sight on them. No, I'm gonna right. go. I'm gonna go. Sure. Five minutes shooters. No, these shooters are like seconds. What are you carrying? 38, I mean, um, well, I used to carry a 38 as a cop, but 9 millimeters, automatic, 15, 15 in the clip, one in the chamber, so they got 16. Automatic, so I can pull once? And, you got to keep, no, you got to keep pulling. So is that but semi-automatic? Semi-automatic. So I got to pull for each one? Pull for each one. But now they're trained, if I, if I'm correct, I haven't been in a long time, I think it's three-second burst. Bang, 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 clear. Bang, bang, bang. Clear, but you know that's not happening. They're like this, <laughs> eyes closed. Everybody shooting. Are cops shooting with their eyes closed a lot of times? Because you just did. That I don't with your eyes know closed. that, but what I'm I'm just saying, you've been in a stressful situation. Because a, a lot of people were not in the stressful situation that you were in, where you get used to that. Right when you were on the street, right. you get used street, to that yeah. level of pressure. <laughs> exactly. Right. The next man who didn't come from that. And he starts firing, right? Is he is he closing his eyes? He's like, oh, I'm scared, but I gotta shoot. I don't know, but I would I would bet a dollar to a donut that their nerves are taking over. You know, most of these people that like they they're not they're born and bred to be cops, but they're not really ready to deal with this five what I call the five seconds of hell. Are you ready to deal with that five seconds of hell? Which means what? That that moment when you got to pull out and shoot? Or, you know, my other position, I've been going around telling people, you shouldn't be a cop unless you got punched in the face. If you've never been punched in the face, you shouldn't be a cop. Because you can't just go right to gun. I got punched in my face. You ran a book. God, God, God punched and knocked me out. Boom, right on the floor. And me and my partner, we brawling, brawling, brawling. This is in the late 90s, but guess what? We never thought to pull our gun out. Neither one of us. We fought a whole family, five people. Mother, father, just neighbors coming in. And neither one. What we was doing was like this. I was like, yo, holding my gun, trying to hit with my left hand. We holding our guns. He's holding his gun, trying to grab a radio to call for help. And we never thought. We could have shot him. Why didn't you pull out your gun? We wasn't because we was trained. We wasn't thinking about that. It was like, you just get help here. I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to kill him with my fist. Me and this guy, we're going to fight all night. I can't wait to get him. Get me off the ground. I'm going to kill this guy with my hands. Not literally kill him, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. we're going to fight. You punch me in the face, oh, now it's on. But it wasn't, boom. That's the easy route. That's for punks. But that's not what they hire you for. It's protect and serve. So what if you get a black guy, your teeth get knocked out? It's part of policing. Everybody's not going to go, okay, here, I give up. My hand's behind my back. And cops can't deal with that. I would hope... Think about this. Every time a cop goes like this, they pull a gun. Police don't move. What if that guy right there start walking toward me? He's what you gonna do? What you gonna do? Now I got my gun out. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? You got a rubber gun. Now what you gonna do? You either gonna shoot him to save face, or he gonna come over here and take your gun out your hand. What are you gonna do? So I tell cops, don't pull it out. If you're not ready to send a bullet down range, don't pull a gun out because it's useless. It's just a wooden gun. Because if you shoot and kill him. You're going to just murder. But you, but and we're talking about one level of the game, but I would hope that more officers would be able and willing to de-escalate. And I see far too little de-escalation 
from police officers. Why can't we have more? And maybe I get arrested, but can you de-escalate the situation? It seems like so many officers walk in, ego out, want to prove I'm the biggest cowboy Jeez, here. Mm-hmm. I'm the baddest guy mm-hmm. here. And now I got you arrested. Now I'm in charge. Like, you could chill the situation out and get a better result for everybody. Well, I learned in the police academy, Officer Greer was my trainer. He's a Nassau County cop now. And he told us, and I'll never forget, it's easier to escalate than to de-escalate. And we was like, what are you talking about? A police officer told you that? Yeah, this was my training, and this is 1992. He told us this, and he says, for instance, you go to a family dispute, you you get to the door, kicking, screaming, people cursing, everything. When they open that door, you should be saying, excuse me, I'm Officer Pegues. I just got here. Somebody called me and told me what's going on. Can I help you? As opposed to coming there, what the hell is going on here? You get against the wall. You go over here. You go over there. Because they're going to know, like, you was a prick going in. And now you try to de-escalate to be a bad guy. You're never going to get the relationship. But if you start off nice and smooth, and now if I have to say, hey, you get against the wall. Yo, put the cuffs on him. They're going to, at the end, they'll be like, you know what? That guy, he really was kind of nice. And we kept egging him on, and he had to escalate. So I, I tell, it's like with my wife. She's screaming, yo. I let her scream and yo. And I, I just go, baby, I'm sorry. I mean, she doesn't even hear me say sorry to about three times. And after the third time, she goes, it clicks. Damn, he said he's sorry. I mean, I try to do that with my wife, too. <laughs> let her yell. Let her have that moment. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? You in charge right mm-hmm. now. It's cool. Right. But I don't feel that from... The police officers who are policing me. That's because most of the police are not util- utilizing it. And that's why it's, a, it's constant training, constant reinforcement, constant reinforcement. You got to constantly reinforce them every time at the roll call, every time at training, all in the academy, constant, constant, constant. You know, with the shooting of people out in the street, I remember they put me on a committee and I said, um, we should put stickers on the, on the lockers that... Buying time saves lives. What? On the sticker. Buying time. Buying time. S- saves lives. With the shooters. Like, if you constantly put it on the lock, every time they open locker, buying time saves lives. When they sign out, you got the sticker. Just, buying time. Just take that moment. Just take one extra moment before one you pull extra, it out. Not to kill you. Not to put yourself in danger. Now, some, sometimes you got to go right to, you know, you, you run up and boom. But that's such a rare incident. You have time. Like, I make gun arrests. We make gun arrests with people pointing guns at me, and me and my partner disarm them. Could have shot them, but how didn't. Did, how do you how do you take a gun away from somebody? Everybody was close combat. It was close. It's not like I was twenty feet away. But so you just, most gun battles what people don't know are between five and seven feet. So you just reached out with your right hand and it's grabbed. Like, oh, she, yeah, it's like oh, she got a gun. Dive on him, and now you're fighting with him to get that gun away. Are you, are you afraid of getting shot in the moment of going for the gun? You're not thinking about that. You so fixated on that gun, you can't. Think, you your eyes are fixated on that gun. You don't see his face. You don't see. You looking at that gun, diving for that gun. You dive for the gun, or you dive for his head. You diving for that gun. But you won't get you get gun. shot, perhaps in the stomach, when you dive for if, the gun? D- depending on you know, depending on the angle. But you want to disarm that person. If, if biting, I'm gonna bite you. I'm gonna kick you. I'm gonna put my fingers in your eyeballs. I'm gonna do everything for you to drop that gun. I'm gonna put a hickey on your neck. <laughs> as long as you get rid of that gun. <laughs> I would do everything. I'm grabbing your groin area. I'm doing everything. I say, yo, this guy's, yo, what's the matter with this guy? Well, Drop the gun. You're trying to save your life. As opposed to being on the front page of the newspaper the next day. Mm. What's the most dangerous? And you never even hear about that gun arrest. You never even hear about that. What's the most dangerous moment that you were in when you were out in a job? Being shot at in the story of projects. Me and um, Officer Martin on a New Year's Eve. Now, it's kind of funny. It's funny now. Because New Year's Eve, traditionally, all cops are called into the precinct about 1130. Okay. Because the commissioner's like, I don't want no shootings. There's going to be celebratory shootings all in, 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 in the neighborhood. In the hood, yeah. So everybody come back. We got six-foot heroes. From 1130 to 12, you go eat and then get out and we scoop bodies up. Pretty much that's what they do. And so this day, we decided on New Year's Eve to go to Story Project. And lo and behold, at 12 o'clock. Boom, boom, boom. We heard shooting on uh, the turret lights. Bing, bing, bing. And we couldn't even find a guy. Like, he, 
He stepped out of the door, bing, 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 ran back inside. We went back, and the sergeant, I was a rookie. I had like a year and a half for him. And the sergeant, a little little female white, about 5'3", very feisty, she was like, who told you to go to the projects? You're not supposed to go down there at midnight. You know, I was new to the job, and I'm looking at my partner like, what you got me down to the projects at midnight for? <laughs> Funny stuff. Funny. <laughs> Do officers see the citizens that they're policing as people who they respect, or are they afraid of them and trying to neutralize and corral them as fast as possible? Well, you said something earlier that was important. You're dealing with the low of the low pretty much in policing. You're not really dealing with the high the, the high people in the community. So sometimes you can get faded or jaded from the dealing bias. with these. Yeah, and have these biases. But I always tell, I would always tell my cops, when you come into precinct, check your attitude at the door. I just had a fight with my wife. I just came to work. And I got to go to domestic violence incident. I can't just take the man's side. But it's hard. You got. I mean, or just go beat the guy up because I'm stressed. No, no, no. That don't work. No, I'm just telling you. So every day you got to check yourself. You got to do this. I was able to do that. I would put my vest on. I got my prayer cards. The prayer cards, unfortunately, they was all prayer cards from officers that was killed in the line of duty. They was like my angels. I put them in there, and I would say my prayer and go out and not. I'm new. I don't care what happened on my way to work. I don't care, you know, my father just died. Whatever happened, I'm checked in because you got to be locked in. It's one Everybody like that? No. No. Everybody's not. Cause but you're human beings. You can't, you can't not bring your day with you to the shift. You can. I mean, you can't. You can't. Not. I, 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 I was able to do it. Right. I was unique. I was checking that out every day because I wanted to get home to my kids. So I couldn't have no other stuff. And there was times... That I had to tell the sergeant, yo, man, I, I'm not all in today. I, I need to go home. It's, it's something on my mind. He said, what's the matter? You need to sit in the precinct? I said, yeah, I'll answer the phones today. So those are good And cop- he would listen to that? Yeah, yeah. Because I bet there's a lot of commanders who like, shut up and get out there. Nah, uh, I had good boys. Well, they I knew- mean, come on, this is, this is a masculine profession. It's very machismo. We, as men, very- we're not like, oh, you got a problem, let's sit down. It's hard to be like, come on, man. Fuck you up. know Get what? Out the there was times I was going through a divorce. My partner just drove right to the priest and was like, "Boss, I'm not working with him." It was a very messy. He, he, I'm not going there. He's going to hurt himself or hurt somebody. We driving. He's crying in the car. He got. I'm not working with him. You know what I'm saying? So, but my but partner was. But that's not was, loving. That's that's not like I care about Officer no, Pegues. No, let's, let's get him off today. He'll be he'll, tomorrow's a new day. He's like, he's gonna <laughs> hurt himself or me. So get rid of him. Give me somebody who's not crying. And no, my partner was good, Bobby. I love that guy. Nah, he was good. We would watch out for each other. But those are signs that you got to see. And good leaders should be able to see those signs when you see behavior changes in personnel. To say, what's going on, man? Is something going on that I need to know about? Are the police in America as effective as they could be? I think so. Really? Yeah, I definitely You don't think. see tremendous room for improvement? Oh, yeah, there's room for improvement, for sure. But without police, there's no society. The society is out of control. No, I'm not saying what we have versus nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm saying what the policing level that we have versus what we could have. Oh, I, yeah, it's, it's definitely room for improvement, especially in, in communities, uh, minority communities or high-crime communities. When you go down south, the high-crime communities are, um, are white communities in the deep, deep south. So just in these areas, because they're, they're not treating them correctly, they're not treating them right, there's a lot of room for improvement. You know, I remember cops getting in trouble for playing basketball in uniform. Why? For the life of me, why would a cop get in trouble? To me, that's the best community police you could do for a kid. You throwing a football with a kid, playing shooting the hoops with a kid. Why would you get him? Why would that cop be in trouble? Because he took ten minutes off to probably make that kid want to become a cop. So things are changing, and it's, it takes a while. It, it just don't change overnight. But does it? Does it not? Perhaps teach the kid the wrong message if you like, oh, look, here's Officer Friendly who shoots some hoops with you. But that's Officer Pegues who understands you and is black and is like, I see my cousin, my younger brother in him. 
But Officer Johnson doesn't see you like that. And if you think Pegues and Johnson are the same, you're out of your mind. And when you act friendly or open to Johnson, Mm -hmm. now he's beating your ass. Because he misunderstands. So I'm going to tell you now, my position as far as even like the race is concerned, black, white, purple, green, blue, I don't care. As long as that cop is coming and doing the right thing, that's who I want in my community. Because I can name I can name 50 black cops right now who I know. You don't even want them coming to your house. So you don't want them, I promise can you, you. Can you please name them? Because I need to know. <laughs> that I need I, to know. I can tell you 50 black cops you don't want coming to your please house. Please tell me. So the whole race issue, you know. But that's it, not the point of the question. No, so what I'm saying is every cop is not going to be me. Because for me... I grew. I was a kid that cops was throwing against the wall. I was the kid that yeah. cops was rifling through my pockets. I was the kid that they had the billy club and like hitting, you know, my friends. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So I came on with a mission saying, hey, I want to improve this job. And I can improve my little space. And when I was commander of the second most violent priest in the city, 6-7 priest, and I had 400-something people working for me, and I was the top dog, I was the one putting policy in place, I was handling that whole thing. You understand what I'm saying? So... I was able to work in my little community and change things and hopefully change attitudes of people and citizens about police. What were the policies that you put in place that were most effective in improving the level of policing that the people in that area were experiencing? Oh, and the two commands that I did, one of the first things I did was um, drop, stop, question, and frisk. Immediately, no, and I no got no more question and frisk. I got beat up. No, stop necessary, necessary stop and frisk. I got beat up bad by the commanders, the two and three star chiefs. But, bad. But but what But you know what I would tell my cops? I'll take the I'll take the beating from them because my defense was in the police department, they believe that there was a connection between a decrease in crime and stop question and frisk. And I would go to these commander meetings with a decrease in crime and a decrease in stop question and frisk. And they would be like, Corey, something is going you're not stopping enough people and I say, Chief we have 10 less robberies this month, three less shootings. But you, you stop questioning frisk, you're down 30% of stop questioning frisk. And I'm standing there looking at these idiots saying, you're not getting it. What is the ultimate goal? Is it me stopping more people or me decreasing crime? And they just didn't get it. But is the police goal really to decrease crime? That should be the goal. Right, but it's not really the goal. Not when I left. It's... Numbers, numbers, numbers. Your summonses are down. Making you arrests. You stop questioning and frisking down. Your arrests are down. Cr- not decreasing exactly. crime, making arrests, which is Make, not the same as decreasing arrest. crime. Exactly. It's not the same. Because I could arrest I could arrest a million people, but now if the crime goes up, that argument don't work, right? Or I could, I could arrest 100 less people and crime goes down. It's like, whoa. Well, if you arrest... A hundred of the right people, then crime will go down. 
But this is not necessarily. But you no, just but said something you, important. If, Targeted policing is yeah. what should be happening today. Yeah, we know who all the criminals are. Yeah, if you had a rapist live on your block, you know he raped three girls. If the cops stopped him every single day, you probably wouldn't have a problem with it. You'd be like, yo, that's that rapist. Right. I got three daughters. You stop. We already know what his problem is. He shot three people. Y'all can stop him every day. But now you stop him, he's a college kid. You know he's a Stopping college kid. Stopping my cousin. He's just you walking down the street. Right. It's like, yo, what's going on? Why are you stopping him? So, so, so ending stop and frisk in your area mm-hmm. was effective. How? How did that improve the policing? It improved. It improved the police community relationship. I mean, okay. I was yeah. I was like yeah. a hero walking through Brownsville, East New York. I mean, the so community, the community, are, yeah, so the citizens are more likely to talk to you yes. about what's actually going on because you're not throwing their little brothers exactly. up against the wall. I would go to community meetings. They would praise me, say, "Commander, we see a difference. Your cops are being more respectful. They're not stopping people like it was with the." person that was here before you and then when I left guess what it went, went back to right it. back you said that was one of the two big changes that you made that were yes. effective what was the other one just bridging a gap between community and police community just police walking around the community like I would always say I wrote in a book like I would go to a barbecue in the community and they would be like hey command I say hey throw a turkey burger on there for me put some cheese on it give me some of that macaroni and cheese and I'll be walking with cops black white whatever they'd be like ew you gonna eat that and I go yeah look at all these people dying look you see people dying all over the place from the hamburger. It wasn't about me always eating a hamburger. Sometimes I wasn't hungry, but it was about letting them know, I know better than you. For me, the, the person that should be doing the outreach is the police officer. You know, when I was a cop, I was saying hi to everybody. I was kissing babies, walking old ladies across the street, <laughs> carrying bags. They was, I was just a happy cop. I'm touching people, touching, touching, because I know if I'm getting my ass beat at 2 o'clock in the morning, Miss Jones is calling 911 to help me. But if you that prick cop that nobody likes... You're going to be fighting for a long time so you can get that radio, and it might cost you your life. So it's always better to try to bring... Now, you're not going to... Everybody's not going to like you. I would go say hi to people, and they'd be you punk-ass cop, don't talk to me. you one of them. I mean, no bit. matter how nice okay. in community right. you are, they're still going to see the blue, and most of their interaction with blue has been negative. Right. So you're one of them. But you know what? I'll take it with a grain of salt. Like, hey, yo, man, come on, man. I'm different, man. I just want to say hi to you, man. What's going on? Nah, man, you book your cops. I don't like them. So I know I can't get through Torrey. That's cool. But I could get through 10 more people. So I'm already batting 90-something percent. You know, so you got it's, it's a give and take. You got to be able to so gauge we gotta have, the community. We got to have more officers, you're saying, who have a better relationship with the community, know the community, know who's actually committing the crime, right. know who's actually a good kid who's maybe running with the wrong group this week, mm-hmm. knows names and faces of people. Yes, yeah, like when I was a commander, I had a list I created called the Top 17. These were the Top 17 violent people that lived inside the 6-7 precinct. In order to get on that list, you had to shoot somebody or been shot within the last three years. It was 17 people, some of them being involved in two shootings, some been shot, whatever. So I can say their names now. A few of them are dead, like Marlon Hines. I can say some names. They're dead. I still remember them because I was kind of anal with my police work. But these 17 people, when you saw them, you knew it was a high probability that they was carrying a gun. Definitely. So I need you to engage them. You know, talk to them, follow them, watch them go around the corner, see what they're doing. Cause these was, but you need to know them. So I would walk up to my cops. Hey, you know who Marlon Hines is? If they didn't know... Oh, they had a problem with me because I had that list over. I even made little inserts where they could put them into their books. So every time they opened a book, they saw them. And I was testing everybody. I test my sergeants, lieutenants. I test the captain. Do you know who such and such is? If they didn't know, we had a problem because now y'all wasting my time. I'm putting it. This is to save your life. This is not just to decrease crime. These are violent people. These are people that's prone to shoot. You need to know them if they get a haircut, if they grow dreads, whatever they do, you need to know what they look like. So we don't have a single national police force. It's a localized situation. But what would you like to see the major police forces do differently to provide more effective policing and more judicious policing for the citizens? One of the things I would love to see, and I've been saying this for years, is we know where the crime is. So... You look at 20 years, the 75th precinct in East New York is the most violent precinct in the city, right? East New York. 20 years ago was the most violent. Guess what's the most violent today? East New York, most violent. So 
at what point, I mean, that crime is lower, a lot lower than it was 21 years ago, but why is it always on the top? Why don't we look at the pockets of the city where there is crime, deploy all the resources there, like get rid of the crime. So now the nice priest on the Upper East Side, you take cops away, like they're on a standalone, leave them on a standalone plan. You're going to take resources from them, take resources. If crime ticks up, now you, you double back to that. But let's help these people who's afraid to walk at 2 or 3 in the morning in Brownsville. You, you got 40,000 cops. You can't put 3,000 cops there, one on every single corner, every single corner, because we got the resources. We got 40,000. But you're going to have to take from Queens. You're going to take from Staten Island. But so what? Take away from all these other precincts where cops are just riding around, circle jerking all day, where everybody else... Is being shot, robbed, burglarized, car stolen. You know, that's that's what they need to do. For the life of me, I don't know. It's not rocket science. This is easy stuff. Everything is mapped. You know where the crime is. Take all your resources. It's like narcotics, right? So I would have narcotics. This a whole division. Narcotics would come in my precinct, this 6-7 precinct, one of the most violent precincts. But in, it's in Brooklyn South. But also in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, they have narcotics go there. But there's literally no crime there. Take those narcotic cops out of there. Give them to me. Why are they going over there? Forget the politics. Because the politicians are going to say, we need, we don't have no crime. It can't be justified. But no one wants to take that real chance. But, you know, hopefully this city, Eric Adams makes a mayor, and he makes me the police commissioner. We'll fix all the problems in the city of New York. <laughs> Good luck with that. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks to my man, Corey, for a great and candid interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you could use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please subscribe, rate, review, and tell your friends about the show. Tory Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Chris Colbert and Tyrese Hester with help from Candid Nicole and our photographer, Chuck Marcus. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks because the man just can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.